Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, thank you for this text. Thank you for what it, it will teach us tonight and for the negative examples all over again. And I pray, Lord, as we see what happens when people do what's right in their own eyes, I pray that, it's a, that we would all be reminded that's not how we are to live our life and that we are to, uh, Lord, be considering what's right in your eyes, not in our eyes. And God, I just, we come to the end of this journey in Judges and it just continues to end on, on a lower note. And, but we just pray, Lord, that you challenge us and encourage us and that this could be a time of, of reflection and learning for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... I'm no, I don't want to recap last week, okay? Last week was bad. It was just a bad, um, it's just, it, I mean, maybe bad is not the right word, but it's just a really just horrible text how it unfolds and, and what happens and, and yeah, you can go listen to the podcast again if you want. If you really want to get into that, that text again, we're going to get a snapshot of that text today because the Levite's going to get his day in court, as it were, and he's going to recap things. And we who know Judges 19 are going to look at this and go, no, wait a darn minute. I don't think it went out, went down just like that. But here we are, and we have an impressive assembly. And let's check this out. 21 to 11. We're in chapter 20 of Judges. We'll, we will finish the books. We'll end in chapter 21. Then all Israel from Dan to Beersheba and from the land of Gilead came together as one and assembled before the Lord in Mitzpah. The leaders of all the people of the tribes of Israel took their places in the assembly of God's people, 400,000 men armed with swords. The Benjamites heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mitzpah. Then the Israelites said, Tell, his, tell us how this awful thing happened. So remember, when we left off from last chapter, the Levite cut up his concubine into various pieces and then kind of UPS them everywhere and send them by Federal and a Pony Express. I don't know how he did it, but he got them to all the corners of, of, of Israel and the people receiving them were going, hey, what's this? Oh, we got to do something. This is, we got, someone has to talk. Someone has to act. We got to do something. Rah, rah, rah. And so... That's where we've gone. So now they've assembled. Here we go. And tell us how this awful thing happened. So the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, said, and again, we're wondering, did he murder her? Was she still alive? I don't know. I don't know. We talked about that last week. I and my concubine came to Gibeah in Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, and, and, and as I read this, I'm going to pause. As I read this, you who are remembering last week, I want you to think about his expert testimony and if it holds water or not. Well, during the night, the men of Gebeah came after me and surrounded the house, intending to kill me. They raped my concubine and she died. I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance because they committed this lewd and outrageous act in Israel. Now, all you Israelites, speak up. And tell me what you have decided to do. What? Well, all the men rose up together as one, saying, None of us will go home. No, not one of us will return to his house. 
But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We'll go up against it in order in the order decided by casting lots. We'll take 10 men out of every hundred and all the tribes of Israel and a hundred from every thousand and a thousand for every 10,000 to get provisions for the army. Then when the army arrives at Gibeah in Benjamin, it can give them what they deserve for this outrageous act done in Israel. So all the Israelites got together and united as one against the city. So we first start off here, all Israel? No, not all Israel. Somebody is clearly not there. Benjamin. In fact, the text says in parentheses there, the Benjamites simply heard that all Israel was there and gathered. Why weren't the Benjamites invited? I mean, this just sounds like a weird, just kind of almost like a kangaroo court or something. Um, I want to know, we got the lone witness. Why have a lone witness? Where was the old man? Why not bring that old dude in here? I mean, why not round up the guys who were trying to rape the guy? Round those guys up. Maybe get a sampling of Benjamites from Gebeah. Get the townspeople. You would bring somebody in to hear their side of the story. If you really cared about the truth, you would try to get the other side to get a well-rounded picture. You would at least attempt that. Maybe you tried and they didn't show up. Well, that's a different issue. But you're just going to hear what this Levite has to say? Um the guy who literally had the knife and was cutting, I mean, yeah, make text in. Uh, there is nothing, because there's nothing lewd and outrageous about cutting up a wife. Yeah, they intended, Daniel says, that to rape him, not kill him. The Levite isn't telling the whole truth. Thank you. That's our next thing. It's a narrative here. So we know more than the crowd does. So this is one of those cool moments in scripture. And any good storyteller or any good writer of a story um, when, when you as a reader know more than the characters do, that's kind of a cool feeling. There's also tension there because you don't want to be the one that knows everything. You want, um, you know, you, you, you want, you want Frodo to know what the ring really does, you know, before Gandalf tells him what the, so, so you, you want to know these certain things and you, you want to know how the story unfolds. And, and as, a, as a reader, you know that, but we know more than the crowd does. And we know that this Levite is just talking nonsense and casting a narrative where he is the tragic hero. And you'll see that in um, our lives today. Just watch how the news handles life. Narrative is more important than truth. Can we cast a story around this? Can we give our opinion about this versus just telling the truth? And so that's what's happening here. We've got this narrative where the Levite can only look good. Now, we already know this guy is deplorable. We already know this guy is a moral wastrel. I mean, we're not, we're not all surprised that he's handling his business this way. This is the guy that, rather than facing this uh, lusty mob by himself, pushed his defenseless concubine out there to take the kill for him, to take the sexual abuse for him. At no time are we looking at this guy and go, boy, he's going to be a moral stalwart. No. So then we already are, we're wanting to tell Israel, hey, don't listen to this guy. This guy is not, you know, he's not a good standard of truth here. Are you kidding me? But narrative. Narrative here. And he's a tragic hero. Well, springing into action here. Let's just see. Because what he did here, he changed the who and 
Did you catch that? That's a big thing, by the way. He changed the who. It's like he kind of made it like the men of Gebeah, like the whole city, like the dudes in Gebeah, like the ones. So he crafted this. See, had he been telling the truth, Israel would have all gone to Gebeah to find that mob. Instead, they're whipped up into a frenzy to go get that city. Because he made it sound like the city did it to him versus a bunch of, you know, jerks that were in this lusty mob. He also changed the why. Why were they doing that? Because they wanted to kill him. No, and Daniel points that out here. They, they, they wanted to do other things to him. And we're not going to get into that again, but you can, you can go back and listen to that podcast again. Go read the chapter again. You can read what they were all about. But he didn't, he didn't say, hey, this mob wanted to, you know, sexually, you know, do things to me. And, you know, and then, and then, and then I was forced to toss my wife out in the street and I, and I just had no other. He's kind of like, okay, I had no other choice. I don't know what to do. And we do that sometimes with our narratives. Rather than telling the truth, we kind of paint ourselves to be the tragic hero. We, gotta, we have to stop that. We have to be careful not to do that. He's trying to create a narrative of text coming in, which is something that should have no place in any court. For a court to be effective, it must favor the truth of our narratives. Yeah, and it's a question, a question coming in. How do you separate the mob from the rest of the townies? I mean, I, I guess you can show up to Gebeah and say, you know what? We're not going to attack the city. We want to attack this mob, produce the mob, and produce this now, or you're going to be attacked. And, they, and they've done this other times in Scripture where it's like, okay, bring out this guy. Otherwise, we're going to sack the city. And, uh, well, 12, uh, 12 to 17 of chapter 20. The tribes of Israel sent messengers throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, what about this awful crime that was committed among you? Now turn those wicked men of Gebeah over to us that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. Again, it would be one thing if it was just the mob, but he pointed out the whole, the whole city. So bring out Gebeah, bring out the wicked men that is of Gebeah, that entire city. We may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel, but the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. We're not surprised. From their towns, they came together at Gebeah to fight against the Israelites. At once, the Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from their towns, in addition to 700 able young men from those living in Gebeah. Among all these soldiers were 700 select troops who were left-handed. Each of them could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 swordsmen, all of them fit for battle. So... Israel here has been manipulated, has been manipulated into outrage, and, and but, but unity and outrage. And so the, the Levite's job is done. He's just going to go off into the sunset. He's done. And Deuteronomy 13. So Deuteronomy 13 says, in moments like this, go and inquire. Go and inquire about the truth of, of what's going on here. And go and check things out. Go in and do a full and thorough investigation. And, you know, some of us are looking at the election right now and going, you know what? I don't really care who wins, but I want a full and thorough investigation of everything so we can actually just know what happened. They could have done that here. They could have done that. They could have said they went there with sword in hand and give us the guys we want to take them out as opposed to what happened in your city? What was going on right here? You need it's like, it's like they could have done a full and thorough Deuteronomy investigation here, 
but they're not about investigating. So I just want you to see God has already put things in his law for moments like this. So when they're going to come to God and God's going to eventually just not give them what they want, and eventually God's going to be silent, it's like they were already wanting to do what was right in their own eyes. God is just going to be an afterthought for them. We're going to be surprised that God speaks at all in this text tonight. So we have not listeners. We're not surprised that Benjamin doesn't listen. The mob didn't listen to the old man, and these Benjamites aren't going to listen to anybody else. It's like, then we're not going to have any listen here. And the handed irony. What's the irony here? Benjamin means son of the right hand. And they're fielding left-handers. So we've already seen a left-hander. The kind of left-handedness is kind of, you know, shaky in the ancient world. We already had Ehud, the left-handed judge, and he snuck in the, uh, the dagger from the left side. They didn't expect it. Here we have some left-handers. And I, I've, I've, I've heard stories about boxers who can, who box left-handed. It's like they go southpaw and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's hard to box against that. Or it used to be, it's hard to hit against a left-handed pitcher or something. It's, it's coming from the other side and you just, what do you do? And so these left-handed, there's something about this in the ancient world that the, the, the author of this text is bringing this up to make it sound like, whoa, these guys must be something to deal with because they're throwing left-handed. They're slinging things left-handed. It's like, it's you would naturally have your shield to protect against a right-hander maybe and all of a sudden a left-hander what are you going to do and so they just um yeah they, they they come they come up with they just the text brings it up and we're supposed to be going huh but benjamin son of my right hand you know versus they have left-handers it's a little an ancient reader would go oh that's that's fitting and you got the the right-handed guy the guy is known for being tied to a right hand having left-handers so tribalism I put, I put to you that tribalism is one of the biggest failings of our world. Tribalism. You don't really care about things that you ought to care about. You care about your tribe. And maybe your tribe is a political tribe. Maybe your tribe is, I mean, it, probably not sports anymore. But they used to be argue about sports. But what is your tribe? What group of people do you want the agreement of the most? Maybe it's a religious tribe. Maybe it's a group of friends that you just you want their attaboy or girl the most. And you see, tribalism is this idea that I'm going to defend my tribe above all else. And you see relationships hurt by that. You see manipulation. Here, we get no truth because the tribes are just breaking up. You got one against another, and this is one big group against one small group, and 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 they, and they're going to be making really bad vows, and they're going to keep doing these things. They're going to get themselves tied up in knots by the end of the story, end of the end of this book. Tribalism, check into that. How does tribalism affect your world? How you think, how you act. You read the news and you go, yeah, that's right. They better get theirs or you know what, it's good. And so you're only going to read certain news because you want that certain feedback to, to affect your tribe. And we label people and we put people in boxes and we don't, we don't learn from people. We just kind of ignore people. We just, tribalism is one of the worst things in our, in our society. And that's my opinion, but I'm seeing it play out. It's horrible.
And I'm not saying that I don't suffer from it myself. I mean, I, I fall prey to it as well. I'm just saying it's, it's bad. It's just a bad way to go about it. To, to, it's letting our culture divide us into tribes, divide us into groups, and finding out who's the biggest victim. And like, okay, now we'll do this. I mean, that's just cultural Marxism. It's like, I'm divided into a group, and now I'm supposed to believe a certain way because I'm part of that tribe. It's like, it's just, you can tell, you see the control there? It's like, now, now apply that to your families and your relationships and your friendships and your church family and all these, your, your social media, all these things. Tribalism is bad. The first battle, 18 to 21, the Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. They said, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Benjamites? They haven't given a rip about God for how many chapters? Well, the Lord shockingly replied, Judah shall go first. Now, what did God not say? And there will be victory. God just answered their question. I'm amazed God answered their question. We're expecting God to say, pound sand. Remember I said I was done with you people? Remember I said I'm not going to come to your rescue anymore? None of this stuff? We, we talked about that four or five chapters ago. Pound sand. Or just silence. He said, Judah should go first. The next morning, the Israelites got up and pitched camp near Gibeah. The Israelites went out to fight the Benjamites and took up battle positions against them at Gibeah. The Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. Dang. You see, the, the, the inquiry and the response, Israel's coming forward with just this, this justification, the confidence. We're right and are going to war. And they just assume God's approval. See, we would want them to come before God and say, God, we're coming here. We kind of have an idea of what we want to do. But would you please give us your opinion on this? Is this right? That we, we, may we seek your blessing? No. They just assume that, oh, yeah, God's on our side. So, God, just, just to save us time, you know, rolling the dice 12 times or 11 times or 10 times, take Levi out of there 10 times. To save us time, who goes first? Look at that presumption with God. Wow. I mean, boom. Well, defeat. Pretty bad defeat. Like, really bad defeat. So, don't pray to God like they approach God here. This presumption with God. This just kind of, ugh. okay, God, I get it. You, you, you want to do all these things. And uh, a text coming in, oh, so now you're going to God. You are literally fighting amongst yourselves and ignoring what God wants. That's a fantastic point. Well done. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you want God to, to approve your nonsense, your selfishness? Jesus says, deny yourself, and you choose not to deny yourself, and they say, okay, God, bless me. That's not really what God, that's, that, no, that's just not, no, 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 good point. All right, the second battle, 22 to 25. But the Israelites encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. The Israelites went up and wept before the Lord until evening. Okay, that's a little bit better approach. It's, 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 I mean, I don't know if they were having just kind of emotional manipulative tears or they were actually broken. It's hard to know, but they wept as a long time. And they inquired of the Lord. They said, shall we go up to fight against the Israelites? Our fellow, the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites. Well, that's a different, different question. 
okay, it's getting a little bit better, all right? And the Lord just answered, go up against them. Again, there's not, and you'll get victory. Just, just go up against them. You know, that you can see in their, in their inquiry, there's some doubt there. They just got their lunch handed to them by the Benjamites. It wasn't like it was Judah they were going up against. They probably couldn't have defeated Judah anyway. These are the Benjamites. They had a lot of, they, the, all of them against Benjamin. They, oh, we got this. I mean, think back to the Joseph story. Benjamin was a little runty one. I mean, it's like all of, all of those are Reuben, all those guys and, and, and against Benjamin. I mean, seriously, they're thinking, we got this. Let's go punish the brat. Well, yeah, so uh, maybe they're having some conciliatory, uh, maybe, maybe there's something about the request, because they're kind of like they're our brothers, our fellow Israelites, maybe they kind of feel the sting of the last battle, maybe they're just a little bit on edge with God here, and it's kind of saying, well, God, is this the right thing? We'll go up and do it. Well, defeat. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin on the second day. This time, when the Benjamites came out from Gebeah, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all the Marma swords. So the battle went a little bit better for them than the first time, but it was still a pretty resounding defeat. Yes, it's... Uh, yeah, th this is the question here. And Randy poses the question, is this... He's saying, he's saying this is sanctioned by the Lord. That's the question. Is this? Let's get, let's get to the end of the third battle and see if there's a difference. Third battle, 26 to 48. Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went up to Bethel, where they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days... The Ark of the Covenant of God was there. Oh, so interesting. So they actually go to the one place that has the Ark where you could inquire of God. In that interesting. With Phinehas, son of Eleazar. Phinehas is a cool dude. Check him out in, in Joshua. Check him out in Numbers. Phinehas, son of Eleazar. He's a, he's a bad dude. He's awesome. He's a great guy. Check this guy out. The son of Aaron was ministering before it. So they actually go to a priest. And the priest had one job, to represent you before God. This is a priest moment, and they actually do it. All right. All right. Then they asked, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? The Lord now responds, or responded, go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Ah, different response there. Then Israel set an ambush around Gebeah. They, they went up against the Benjamites on the third day and took up positions against the Gebeah as they had done before. The Benjamites came out to meet them and were drawn away from the city. They began to inflict casualties on the Israelites as before, so that about 30 men fell in the open field on the roads, the one leading to Bethel, the other to Gebeah. While the Benjamites were saying, we're defeating them as before, the Israelites were saying, let's retreat and draw them away from the city to the roads. All the men of Israel moved from their places and took up positions at Baal Tamar. 
and the Israelite ambush charged out of its place on the west of Gebeah. Then 10,000 of Israel's able young men made a frontal attack on Gebeah. The fighting was so heavy that the Benjamites did not realize how near disaster was. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. Oh, that's a verse. Did you catch that? The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. Wow. Could this battle finally involve God? Finally? Okay. And on that day, the Israelites struck down 25,100 Benjamites, all armed with swords. Then the Benjamites saw that they were beaten. Now the men of Israel had given way before Benjamin because they relied on the ambush they had set near Gebeah. Those who had been in ambush made a sudden dash into Gebeah, spread out, and put the, the whole city to the sword. So they put in there the harem, put them all to the sword. The Israelites had arranged with the ambush they should send up a great cloud of smoke from the city, and then the Israelites would counterattack. The Benjamites had begun to inflict casualties on the Israelites, about 30, and they said, we are defeating them as in the first battle. But when the column of smoke began to rise from the city, the Benjamites turned and saw the whole city going up in smoke. Then the Israelites counterattacked, and the Benjamites were terrified because they realized a disaster had come upon them. So they fled before the Israelites in the direction of the wilderness, but they could not escape the battle. And the Israelites who came out of the towns cut them down there. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily overran them in the vicinity of Gebeah on the east. 18,000 Benjamites fell, all of them valiant fighters. As they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, the Israelites cut down 5,000 men along the roads. They kept pressing after the Benjamites as far as Gidom and struck down 2,000 more. On that day, 25,000 Benjamite swordsmen fell, all of them valiant fighters. But 600 of them turned and fled into the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, where they stayed four months. The men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword. What? They returned to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword. This is the harem, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns they came across, they set on fire. What? That's a whole tribe. Fire. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have a different inquiry. We have a different response. And we have victory. Um, they wept, they fasted, they offered sacrifices. Uh, what stands out about their inquiry here is that they, they kind of give the option of not going to war again. Like maybe God could say no, because, you know, they weren't really asking God in the first couple times. They were really just assuming. And yeah, they were a little bit better than the second time, but there was just still that assumption. Not as bad as the first time. I get it. But um, yeah, a good text comes in. What a mess. The saddest part is that this could have all been avoided. A good chunk of it could have, yeah. Again, this is a society that just does whatever is right in its own eyes, where God is kind of like an afterthought, and they don't really care about what's right in God's eyes. And they, or if they do, it's just like a, they just kind of stick it out there. Not, they don't really land on that on that hill. They just kind of stand there. Um, wow. They just put a whole tribe to the sword, and that's not small. This is not the Assyrians coming in later on. This is not the Babylonians coming in later on. 
This is the worst of all possible friendly fires. 11, beating up on one and extinguishing one. Ouch. Attitudes. This is all about their attitudes. They want what they want, they're gonna get what they get. We just don't see them trusting God. We just, this is about them getting what's theirs, them deciding what's right and then them doing it. What kind of attitudes do you have with God? Are you presumptuous with God? Are you trusting in God? Are you depending upon God? Is God the one driving your ship? Or, or is he just your Siri giving you directions, but you're really driving? I mean, really, what's it all about? What kind of attitude do you have with God? We got to keep going with this because the story it just keeps getting more interesting here. And they're going to keep just putting their foot further in their mouth. When God isn't present, lawlessness abounds. Great text. Yeah, God's an afterthought. And he, he was with Samson too, for that matter. But Samson's now dead. And now things are even worse. But God's just an afterthought. Like, oh, whatever. This isn't an, a foreign power like the Philistines or the Ammonites doing this to Israel, like they had been doing this whole book of Judges. This is Israel doing this to Israel. This is unthinkable. Absolutely unthinkable. They go here. Chapter 21. Let me scroll down here a little bit on the page. So you can see what the heck's going on here. 21, 1 to 5. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mitzvah. What? Hold on. There's an oath? What was at Mitzvah? Mitzvah was back when they were hearing that bozo Levi give his story. They had already taken a stinking oath. And now you got to take an oath. These guys are going to be oath keepers. They're going to take an oath. They're going to say, oh, we've got to keep an oath. We can't do anything to our oath. We have to keep it. It's going to get them in trouble again. And yeah, so taking an oath here. Um, not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. Okay. Well, I guess it's going to play in here. The people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord, God of Israel, they cried. Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Look at them using the third person, like they're some kind of a, a football player after a big victory, using his name in the third person. Why has this happened to Israel? You can hear the sound of that little violin going here. Why has this happened to Israel? This is your people, God. Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Early the next day, the people built an altar and presented birth offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Israelites asked, who from all the tribes of Israel had failed to assemble before the Lord? Well, I got a thought. You just basically killed the tribe. Were you going to rub that in God's face? You just killed one of his children, essentially, the tribes of Israel? Are you kidding me? <sighs> For they had taken a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble before the Lord at Mitzvah was to be put to death. So there it is. So Randy question here. Um, you should purge evil from among you. Yes, is exactly right. But it wasn't about evil. It was about this stupid oath. Who doesn't gather here to hear this Levite story? Didn't they all get this? 
Whoever doesn't assemble today at Mitzpah, this is back at the beginning of chapter 20, before they do any of the stinking battles, who doesn't gather here gets to die? See, they had this all figured out from the start. They had this all going that we're going to kill Benjamin. We're going to take care of that because they are not. So this isn't like, okay, they've done evil and now we have to go purge this evil because they would have done Deuteronomy 13. They would have investigated it saying, that's what you're supposed to do. Deuteronomy 13 says, if there is that kind of evil, go investigate that evil, then figure it out, then purge it out. Then they go to investigate. They, some of them, we just find out now, had taken an oath back then that said, oh, who isn't here? Now we're going to get them because who doesn't dare stand before God? Oh, yes. Which tribe's not here? Well, Benjamin's not here, we find out. Okay, let's go get him. See, that's the way they're thinking. This is all about them in their own eyes. Yeah, uh, my goodness. Um, this, is, this is like Jephthah. Remember Jephthah a few judges ago? He didn't quite trust God when God was telling him to do what he ought to do, and God was going to lead them to victory. So he has to give some oath with God. God, if this is all going to happen, then I'm going to sacrifice to you the first thing that comes out of my house. Remember that stupid oath, that ridiculous oath? And he's thinking it's going to be like a, you know, a, a, a goat or something coming out of there. And instead, it's his daughter, his only child. That stupid rash vow. This is another stupid rash vow. All they had to do was investigate. But instead, they bought this guy's line, hook, line, and sinker. And they were just rallied to go get him. And then they go get him. And eventually, they got him. All of them were almost... And that's the next part here. Um, it's all about manipulation and, 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 and silence. And God just not, God just being silent here. God's not, um, you kind of hear them implying that God was behind this too. Like God, God, we're looking for a scapegoat here, God. And it's just not happening. And, and, and that you know what they, they they didn't do really do any wrong but maybe god was responsible for this because they didn't gather before the lord and 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 god just is not going to be used by these people god's just going to be silent uh, so they go a religious route because they make this altar they start sacrificing thinking they're going to get what they want from god if they do religious things and that's why our faith is less about a religion than more about a relationship because you wouldn't do that to a person you cared about you can play the control games of religion, sure. Okay, I'll show up to I'll show up to church, God. I'll, I'll put something in the in the plate, God, or I'll sing songs, God. I'll do this or do that, God, because I'm expecting you to come through. And if I do my part, you're going to do yours. That's idolatry 101. The quid pro quo, scratching back, receiving scratches in return, kind of thing. God's not playing that game. God's not even going to scold them. God's just going to be quiet, and you know, let them do their thing. And let sin just, just be sin. Let it unfold. Wow. God is silent. Let me go to the next part. Own hands, 6 to 14. Now the Israelites grieve for the tribe of Benjamin, their fellow Israelites. Today one tribe is cut off from Israel, they said. Yeah. Cry, cry, cry. Look what, look what all this made us do. They made us kill them all. Now, they're all, now no one's not going to be there anymore. Seriously? You go and do what you did, Israel. Now you're going to start crying before the Lord about it. See what all this made us do? We were just trying to be right. And we had to kill them all. Yeah, right. How can, how can we provide wives for those who are left since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? 
Someone texted in, God is more important than any ridiculous oath. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, then they asked, which one of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord at Mitzpah? They discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. For when they counted the people, they found that none of the people of Jabesh Gilead were there. Ah, now we've got our scapegoat. Now we've got the one. Here it is. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put to the sword those living there, including the women and children. What? Oh my gosh. This is what you are to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who is not a virgin. This is the Bible. This is truth. What's going on here? They found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man, and they took them to the camp at Shiloh in Canaan. Then the whole assembly sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites at the Rock of Rimon. So the Benjamites returned at that time and were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared, but there were not enough for all of them. What? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, that all of a sudden the mood shifts and they begin to feel sorry. They, they feel, oh my gosh, what's, what's going to happen with Benjamin? This tribe has to have, I mean, this is like the, uh, the other kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. Kind of what's going on in his mind. He's like, well, you want the property of, uh, of, of, of Naomi and from uh, Elimelech? He's like, well, yeah, I'll buy that. Well, it comes with a wife. And if you acquire the property, you get Ruth the Moabitess. And he starts going, well, you know, I, I can't endanger my own estate. Now, take that on a national scale here. And they're just like, um, these people aren't going to have any. So we did all these things, and maybe it was bad, maybe it was not. But we're feeling bad about it because now Benjamin's not going to have an inheritance anymore. And that guy in Ruth was thinking about his inheritance from his own family, so not creating more heirs that don't get to be his heirs, but they're going to be Mahlon or Kilion's heirs. And so he can't raise them and spend all kinds of money on them and have them not be his own heirs anymore. These guys are not going to have wives and family. They, get, they, they, they killed every city, you see. So we don't have any heirs for these people. They're not going to be able to continue with the promised land, God this great spiritual connection you have with the people and the land and, and inheritance, that's not going to happen anymore, God. So what are we going to do, God? Well, we can't break our oaths, you see. We can't break our vows. So we got to come up with some scenario where it's going to happen, where we're going to find a way. We're going to take all this stuff into our own hands, and we're going to make it work. We're the one that's going to do it. You know, we, 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 we watched the people's court back in the day and says, don't take the law into your own hands. Take them to court, you know, kind of thing. Take them to the people's court. These guys are going to take the law into their own hands, take the issue into their own hands as if they're the ones who are going to solve it. Maybe they thought, maybe they felt guilty and said, well, we're the ones who caused all this. So now we're the ones that have to fix all this. So we're going to fix it. We're going to get it done. That's never a great way to turn, treat God. God, I messed up, so I got to fix it. That's just not... Yeah, text coming in. Um, the whole thing is one complete dumpster fire. Yeah. And that's giving dumpster fires a bad name. This is worse. <laughs> this is really, it's worse because this is Israel. This is not Canaan doing. We expect the Canaanites to be this way. This is Israel doing this. 
We're not expecting this, okay? Oh my goodness. They're gonna face their dilemma with their own hands. They're left with an emotional problem from their first oath. How could they prevent all this? They gotta change, they gotta stop this. Um, yeah. Remember the, remember the Danites? Remember the Danites? They went, they wanna go put a town to the sword and they were looking for a, a previous Levite. They were looking for the previous Levite, uh, the, not this one, but the previous one. They were looking for him, imprimatur. If only we had a priest to inquire of God for us so we can go put this town to the, to, to the sword. I wish we could have that. That's back in chapter 18. They wanted to uh, go put the unsuspecting Canaanite city of Laish under this very harem that Israel put under Benjamin. And the Israelites just did the same thing to Israel. This is not Israel putting under the harem, the harem, some Canaanites. This is Israel doing it to Israel. How low, this is like the, uh, how low can you go? Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. Means and ends is truly ironic that Israel being united exterminates Jabesh Gilead of all but the virgin females. This is the very crime that Benjamin did. Did you catch that? This is the very crime that Benjamin did. Killing a woman. Forget the attempted whatever with the, with the Levite. They raped and essentially killed or left her almost for dead, a woman. And that's the narrative. That's the narrative the Levite had. Oh, they killed her. And I was just forced to cut her up and send her everywhere. And, and, and this is exactly what they're doing. The raping and, 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 and killing to make everything work out. As a result, intertribal unity is preserved at the cost of loyalty to the terms of Yahweh's covenant. You see, that's, the, that's tribalism all over again. What do you sacrifice on the altar to, be honored, to honor God to preserve your tribe, your tribal way of thinking, way of living? Well, a conservative wouldn't think that way. Well, a progressive wouldn't think that way. And what do you sacrifice on the altar to protect your tribe? That's what they're doing here in a very literal tribes of Israel sense. Wow. Things. Oh, yeah, some, some good text coming in. Well, they weren't seeking God's guidance to begin with. Now they're wondering why he's silent. They keep trying to play God. They wonder where everything goes wrong. Yep. Have we never learned vigilante justice never ends well? Things just keep getting worse and worse in this chapter. None of this honors God. These are all true. This just, this just keeps getting worse. It's just worse and worse and worse. And this is Israel doing it to herself, making it worse and worse and worse. Oh, my goodness. Right in there. Let's try to finish this 15 to 25. It wasn't enough for all of them. The people grieve for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. 
And the elders of the assembly said, with the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters as wives since we Israelites have taken this oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. Yeah, because, you know, I'm sure God's going to care about your oath after you just got done with all the fratricide killing of all your brothers. I'm sure God's going to go, well, you took an oath and we got to honor the oath. You see, we're going to conclude with the idea of legalism. This is legalism. You got to obey the law to the letter. And you just ignore the spirit of the law, ignore the one where the law giver. We just got to, we have to obey the law. The law, the law, the law. Well, but look, there's an annual festival to the Lord at Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebonah. And we don't know what that festival is. Commentators have just made this just like a local thing. Some of them have even said it was like the Feast of, of Tabernacles. Like this is like a major thing. And oh my gosh. Um, so they instructed the Benjamites saying, go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, I mean, I've heard of like stories of, of, of cavemen, like uh, getting their wives with a club in hand and dragging them off and thinking, oh, that's just silly nonsense. Um, and it probably is. But this is the Bible here. Um, uh, Rush from the vineyards, each of you sees one of them to be your wife. Then return to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we're going to start pulling Chicago politics on there. We're going to have some vigilante justice here. We're just going to say, this is the way it's going to be, and that's it. When one of their fathers or brothers complain to us, you know, when they dare put up a fight at, at their, their, their daughter or sister being raped and carried off, or being carried off without their asking or whatnot, or um, do us the favor of helping them, because we did not get wise for them during the war. You will not be guilty of breaking your oath because you do not give your daughters to them. There's that oath again. Oh my gosh. So that is what the Benjamites did. When the young women were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. When they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them, then they did that. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. Oh, it's all good now, isn't it? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Yeah, evidently they did, didn't they? My goodness. Or literally in Hebrew, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh my goodness. The elders of Israel, we haven't heard from them in a while. They were just back at the very beginning of, of, of Judges here, and they kind of had a good, a good role at the very beginning. They just kind of had a more of a godly role. And let's try to get this page up here so I can scroll down. Okay. And here they're having a kind of a political role. How are we going to wiggle off this hook? How are we going to figure this out? We kind of, we kind of stepped in it. So now we got to get this done and get it right somehow. And what sounds right in our own eyes? Um, I don't know. This whole idea, this word they used to go and seize those girls it's used only one other time in the Bible, and it's used in Psalm 10, 9. Check that out. It's describing like a wicked man that God's going to judge, rushing in like a lion and dragging off for prey. That's the word that is used here in Judges. It's like it's used twice in that verse in Psalm 10, 9. That's the only other time in the whole Bible it's used. Kind of a gruesome 
lion dragging off prey and that's what you're going to do with these women i mean this is like this is horrible and i'm saying that not as a typical feminist this is horrible and you know the fathers and brothers protest you know what um if you don't accept our way you're going to be guilty of something else and you got that going on there so um yeah, the elders did essentially the same thing as the old man did and the Levite did. Just justify the rape of a woman. Justify something happening to her against her will, against her desire. We're left to wonder, has justice been served? We're left to wonder, has... Uh, what truly has been accomplished here? So the legacy of Benjamin is saved. These are God's people. These are God's people. The book of Judges ought to remind you that if God can use these people, if God can still have plans for these people, God can use you. If God can still love these people, if God can still preserve these people, the whole story of Esther is going to come much later. Wouldn't have God have been done with these people? No, God shows his love. And we can't understand that love. And if it can happen with these guys, it can and will happen with you. These guys are hypocrites. You and I all have seasons where we've been hypocrites. And God loves us. God forgives us. That's the story of the book of Judges. It just keeps getting worse and rancid. It reminds us that God still cares. The Bible doesn't end with Judges. The story of Israel does not end with Judges. Oh, we would have been done with Israel a long time ago. God's story continues. Intimidation, that's it. They were intimidating the, 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 the fathers and brothers. Legalism. It's not about the law. And it goes to Jesus there. You know, it's like Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the, the, the Pharisees who would look at the Ten Commandments and say, you know, I would never commit adultery on my wife. And Jesus said, okay, you're going to keep that letter to the law. You're never going to step out on the misses. But what's going on inside of you, if you're looking lustfully at someone else, you're essentially already doing it. It's like to keep the letter of the law on the outside and be wretched in your heart, you're missing the legalistic point there. The point is not legalism. The point is obeying God, getting to know God and obeying him. The spirit of the law is honor God and obey God, not be so ritually legalistic with the outside and it doesn't care about your inside. No, God cares about your inside. What other people can't see, God can, and that matters to God. Mick takes, sends a really good message in. Judges sets up the biblical narrative for the coming of a king. It sets up the temporary kingship of David, which in turn sets the stage for, for eternal messianic kingdom of Jesus. This sets up why, why we need Jesus as a king. Yeah. Remember, judges keep saying, in those days, Israel had no king. They had no executive branch. They had nothing. They had nothing where the king could say, you know what? Enough already. Knock this off. God 
does it. This is not what honors God. Listen to your priests. Listen to your prophets. The, the king is the one that has is able to execute the law. Now, the majority of the kings are not going to do that at all. There's going to be a few that will. But in, in those days, Israel had no executive branch. Everyone did as they saw fit, as it were. Jesus reminds us that God is, there's more to obeying God than keeping a law. And that just kind of solved the Judaism problem right there. You can't keep laws to the point that you're going to be good enough for heaven. You can't obey God to the point where you're going to be accepted in God's family. You've got to have a relationship with God. There has to be something there where, you, where your heart and will are combined, where you have this relationship with Almighty God. Where you actually want to please the lawgiver, not just obey the laws. There's got to be something deeper about that. And that's what, those were Jesus' points. Well, I'd never murder, but you hate your brother. Really? You're just missing the spirit of the law there to keep the letter of the law. That's legalism. And that's not Jesus, who did keep the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I want to conclude with this, Joshua and Judges. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites attempt, let's make up a word, to Israelize Canaan, to make Canaan like Israel. To make Canaan Israel. In Judges, they do the opposite. They're making Israel Canaan. In, jo in Joshua, they're conquering the promised land, and they're making Canaan now Israel. In Judges, they just make Israel like Canaan and do whatever is right in their own eyes. We need God to be our ruler. We need God to rule our lives, to give us not only the guidance, but the direction and to actually shepherd us. We actually need a Lord. We need someone we turn to. I'm going to close with this. Something I hope is practical for you. When you face tough situations, now, there's going to be some emergency situations you might be in, and you may not have time to react. And you, you just, it may be just a difficult thing. Uh, this may not apply to an emergency-type situation. But think of a situation you're going to be in, and you've got to make, you've got to make a decision, you've got to, and you, but you've, you've got some time to ponder. I'm going to give you some, some, some steps here. How to not do what's right in your own eyes. Your tough situation checklist. The first thing is, are you still? You know, be still, know that I am God. Psalm 46, 10. Are you still or are you just reactionary? Are you in a spot where you're like, okay, okay, I've calmed down. I, mean, I know a decision has to be made. Are you still or are you just going to react? But, but the Israelites of Benjamin, they're just a reactionary force here. Okay. The Levite, just a reactionary person. I mean, you know, the, 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 the lusty mob, same way. Are you still? Number one, or that's number one. Number two, has God spoken? What? I'm supposed to what? Listen? No. Has God spoken on the matter? Well, I can't control my mouth. How has God spoken? James 1. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God has already spoken about that. Pay attention to that. Has God spoken means get in your Bible for guidance. 
Has God spoken about my situation and what I should do or should not do? That's step two. Number one, be still and know that he is God. You're in a good spot. Number two, has God spoken? Check it out. Number three, have you spoken? What? What's that supposed to mean? And by the way, has God spoken? Before you react to anything in your situation, at the minimum, Matthew chapter five, are you one of those things, poor in spirit, peacemakers, that kind of stuff? Because those kind of things remind us, the Beatitudes remind us what God's heart is all about. Romans 12, has Romans 12 kicked your rear end? It's like not, not having vengeance. I mean, go through Romans 12 before you do anything. Those two things God has spoken. And there's probably other things. How, are you still, has God spoken? Have you spoken? What is the world? What even have I spoken? I'm not God. You're right. You're not God. But have you got wise counsel from somebody? Have you been still and realized God said this? And you said, you know what? I need to do something. But, you know, before I do that, I need to go ask somebody their opinion on it. And not just some random person, not social media, but someone you trust, part of your team, someone you look up to or you want their counsel from. They're going to give you wise counsel. Go to them. So you know what? I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Because I really, I really want to know what you think. I give you permission to say whatever you need to say. Say it. I am not going to be mad at you. I just you, have you spoke? Have you spoken out to that? And finally, circle up. Check back with your attitudes. Your two basic attitudes with God are trust and obey. I've said this a million times. Is this something you can control? You better obey God. Is this something you cannot control? You better trust God. How are your attitudes? I had a situation. We came home from somewhere. My, my whole family was out. I forget what we were doing. Probably you know traveling, you know downstate or to, to, to in-laws or whatnot. We came back home. It was in the summer. We came back home, and the kids' playset was taken from the front yard. We showed up, and it was not there anymore. We were not happy. The kids liked playing on that little playset. It was something you you could carry off, and it wasn't exceedingly heavy, but it was close to the house, and so they had to actually the persons who came and got it had to come into the yard by the house, take it up, and in the, in the daylight and cart it off. What do we do? Now I know what my flesh is wanting to do. In fact, uh, we were driving our son to school the next day and we're going down some side streets and we swear we saw it in someone else's yard, that exact place set. And so you know what the flesh wants to do? The flesh wants to go knocking on a door and say, hey, where'd you get that place at? Boy, that's nice. And I wonder if someplace sells something like that. Wow, that's really good. Where'd you get that? And then watch him hem and ha and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to take it back. Or something like that. The flesh comes up with all these scenarios. You're like, are you still? We're not going to be reactionary. Okay. All right. I just got to pause here. Am I still? Am I still? Okay. I'm not going to do what's right in my own eyes. What God says matters here. I know I, I want my justice. I know I want this, but no. Okay. Am I still? Has God spoken? Well, Romans 12, vengeance is not mine to, to take. It's, 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 it's God. So I got to let, let, let's go to God. I just got to react. You're blessed with the peacemakers. And my kids are crying. My wife is upset. We're, we want this back. We, and we have, maybe this could be it. Maybe this is not, I don't know, but let's go try. Let's go knocking on the door. I don't care. It's just, let's find out. Um, got to be still. 
God has spoken. There's more important things than a swing set. I need to pause here. Next, have I spoken? Well, I, I did a wise thing. I don't often do wise things, but I did a wise thing. I called a friend of mine who happens to have law, law enforcement in their family. And I said, you know what? Here's my scenario. What do you think? Can I go knocking on their door? You know a police officer. Can, can, would this be something that would be well to do? He said, you know, there's, this is not that important. There, there's, there's, you're, you're going to probably put yourself in a, in a bad position there. We don't recommend doing that. That you might just have to eat this one. And don't go knocking on a door causing some big thing because you're going to be in a weird legal position. And they gave me really good legal advice in that moment. But I say, you know what you can do? You could probably call the police, get a report, get this official, that kind of stuff. And, you know, there you go. You just, gotta, you just have to live, you learn. There's really not a good thing to do here. So then what did we do? What was my attitude there? Am I going to trust God with what I cannot control? I can't control if anybody's ever going to come back and steal things. Here I am as a man, the man of the house, not able to defend this house. And that's an awkward position to feel as a man. So what do we do? We get the police involved. They do a report. You know, we do that. We then choose to, you know, and, you know look into a home, a home system and kind of look at that kind of stuff. And, and you know, this, what can we control? We should obey God and honor God with, with our property and with our stewardship. And that's kind of how we went about it. We didn't react. We didn't get angry. We didn't go and pound on people or get ourselves thrown in the slammer for a stupid swing set or anything like that. We didn't go make an enemy. We didn't go and honor Satan versus honoring God and causing division and strife and all that kind of stuff. We got to teach our kids, you know what, sometimes life really stinks and bad things happen, but how we react in this moment matters and the kind of choices we do make matters. We can be still we can see if God has spoken. We can seek out wise counsel, and then we can check our attitudes. That's what happened with me, and I'm not a perfect guy. But that's how you live, by not doing what is right in your own eyes, because the temptation is you'll want to. You'll want to be just like these Israelites. This has been the book of Judges. Thank you for letting me share.